Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, my, do- my rock, my Lord, my Redeemer. Amen. Life in the Spirit is essential. It is core to all believers. Life in the Spirit is essential to those who say that they are followers in Jesus Christ. Life in the Spirit is essential for the life of a congregation. Without the power of the Spirit, without the life of the Holy Spirit, there's no pulse, there's no breath, there's no power in your faith or the faith and the work of a congregation. That's how important life in the Spirit is. And we have found so far in the series that life in the Spirit is not apart from Christ Jesus. Rather, it is found first and foremost in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. You are no longer in bondage, in slavery to sin, but you are free. And you are no longer under condemnation. And so there's a cry that rises up that you are free or that there is freedom. And that's what we covered the first week. But there's more than that. That in Christ Jesus, you are now a child, a son, a daughter of God, adopted into the family. And you have a Father forever who loves you forever. And so now the cry is, Abba, Father. It is one of adoption. And now we come to today, the third section, and it is of hope. You see, life in the Spirit means that you have an enduring hope. You see, to be a Christian and hopeless is actually a contradiction of terms. But you know what happens when people are hopeless, right? They lose hope. They die in many different ways. They die mentally, emotionally, and sometimes they die physically too. They just literally give up. And there's also a spiritual death that goes along with having no hope. I don't have to give you a lot of examples because I'm going to guess all of us at some point one in, along the way in our life, we have been without that hope and we kind of know what that feels like. And I'm going to guess that you have people in your life this very day who are struggling, who have no hope. And so where do you turn? I mean, you certainly don't turn to the world nowadays, do you? When I listen to the news or anything else, it does the opposite of hope. Kills off hope. And so there's only fear, despondency, and everything that goes with it. But as followers of Jesus Christ, listen up. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the most hope-filled people in the world. Bar none. So today, in our section of Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at hope. Because it abounds with hope. And there are four things we will be looking at. Suffering's hope. 
creation's hope, redemption's hope, and the Spirit's assurance of hope. And if you want, you have the sermon notes, you can follow along with this. So we first begin with suffering's hope. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So look, we know this. We know that suffering is part of the human experience, of human existence, right? You cannot avoid suffering. It is because we live in a fallen world. Many people think that if we just do one thing or this or that or that, we will eliminate suffering. And the fact is, we live in a fallen world and there will always be suffering until the new glory is revealed. And the Bible, by the way, does not gloss over suffering. Not whatsoever. There is a lot of suffering that is described in Scripture. If you read... 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Rods, by the way, were very thick rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's not just hardship. That is suffering through and through. But here's the question. What kept him going? What kept him going? Because really, think about it. If you and I went through something like that, most of us would probably say, enough's enough. Not going to do that anymore. I mean, really, what keeps you going? Without being maudlin about it, think about it, the suffering that you've gone through in your life or are going through right now. There's the... Things that happen with age, right? And things that happen with your body. Diseases that you might have to deal with. For others, it's a broken marriage or relationship. There's, for others, there's the stress of the economics, of food, of shelter. You know, where will I sleep? Where will I live? And for other people, there is grief, isn't there? There's grief of losing a loved one. And it just hits your heart, doesn't it? I mean, again, not to be modern, but when you think about it, that there's a lot of weight there. And how do people deal with all of that weight? Well, I can tell you right now that addiction is way up in America, that people are trying to numb the suffering with alcohol, with drugs, with other things. Also, suicide has been up in the United States. I mean, COVID saw a rise in it because of the loneliness and the isolation, the suffering of that. So, How do you deal with it? How did Paul deal with it? 
Well, let's go back to what he said. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What Paul had was an eternal perspective. He had an eternal hope. I mean, when you have an eternal perspective, an eternal hope, it will carry you through even the hard times. And for Paul, it meant that he was fully confident that if you took all the sufferings, all the sufferings that you could ever imagine, that they wouldn't even come close to outweighing the glory that is to come, that these sufferings are but a dot in all of eternity. But what is that glory that is to come? Well, you actually can find that in 1 Peter. I've mentioned this several times, but 1 Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept for you in heaven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though we live in a fallen world and there's suffering, we have a living hope kept for us, unperishable, always eternal for us, no matter what. And here's something you might not have considered. We have this hope because Christ suffered for us. It was for because of his suffering that we have this eternal hope. So this, his suffering came to be glory. And because of that living hope, no matter what happens, you can stand and say, it is well with my soul. This is suffering's hope. Now we go to creation's hope. Creation's hope. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So when we talk about creation, we're talking about all of creation. The animals, the the plants, the oceans, the mountains, the stars, the universe. Right? And we take a look at that. And then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Right? That's, That's how that song begins. With the glory of all of creation. And yet, at the same time, we also know that it is a fallen world. 
because there is the curse of sin. That creation itself, this is what Paul is writing, creation is under the curse of sin. It is in bondage to the corruption of sin. You know, we, we look at the glory of creation, but have you ever been in the middle of a hurricane or an earthquake or wildfires spreading through or volcanoes that are so powerful when they erupt, they change the climate for a year. So there is a fallenness of this creation here. And if you take a look, there's also disease, right? Spread by insects, by mosquitoes, the West Nile virus. And here, I take a look in Arizona, and the plants want to kill you. You know, they, they got, they're sharp, right? And, and they've got poisonous snakes. We haven't seen one. I haven't, Heidi and I haven't seen one yet. And scorpions, right? And there are things that want to kill you. So don't tell me that there isn't a fallenness in creation. But the thing is, our sin, our fallenness, exacerbates, adds to the corruption because of our lack of stewardship. So we pollute the rivers. We pollute the sky. We mar the land. So everything is groaning under that weight of the curse of sin. And this is why he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Okay. As a man, I tread very lightly talking about the pain of childbirth. As a matter of fact, I was teaching a class when I was in corporate America on communication skills and empathetic responses, how you are to respond. And one guy actually said that during childbirth, he told his wife, I know what you're going through. That was a long time ago. I wonder if he's still paying for that. You know? But Paul does use an appropriate analogy here, doesn't he? Because there is that pain. I mean, mothers, why would you go through morning sickness and all the weight gain and all of the stuff that goes along with giving birth to a child? Why would you ever want to do that? Because of the joy that comes with it, right? You see, it is the joy of new life. And how many moms, how many women just went, oh. You know, I used to work at Best Buy, and it was a pretty young workforce overall, so there were a lot of women who had babies. They'd go on maternity leave, and then they would come back during part of maternity leave with their baby, and the whole department would just stop. You know, and everybody would go, and they'd be like on tiptoes and wanting to look at the baby. Oh. You know, like that. And I know some of you are going, oh, the baby smell, right? There's the joy of that new birth. What Paul is kind of writing here, he says, all of creation's on the tiptoes, looking 
for that new life, the joy of that new life that is to come. And we actually find the promise of that new life in Revelation. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. Not just wishful thinking, but a certain sure hope. And you and I have the assurance of that hope as the redeemed. For there is redemption's hope. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. It's been said that the emperor Nero was fascinated by the look of glory on a small band of Christians as they were marched into the Colosseum awaiting their death. After their prayer, they gazed up. They, after they prayed, they looked and gazed up far out and beyond. And Nero was wondering about this. So he talked to an aide. He said, they see something. And the aide said, yes, sire. They see the glory of the resurrection from the dead. They had full assurance of that glory of the resurrection of the dead. This is what it means to have life in the Spirit. Recall, if you will, Stephen from the book of Acts. Now it says Stephen was full of grace and power. But men were conspiring against him because they did not like the message he was giving regarding Jesus Christ. And if you take a look at Acts 6 and then chapter 7, he gives a very long speech, a sermon proclaiming Christ, but also condemning them. But listen to what the Holy Spirit gave Stephen the power to see just before he was stoned. It says this, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. To be filled with the Spirit is to know the glory that awaits the redeemed, that awaits each and every one of you who are in Christ Jesus. Not wishful, but there. Assured. And what do we mean when we talk about redemption? Because that's another word that we use all the time, redeemed or redemption. Redemption means you were bought with a price. That you were under bondage. You were a slave to sin. Not just kind of, not just theoretically, but truly a slave to sin. And you were held ransom. But Jesus Christ paid that price for your freedom. And he signed your adoption papers in his blood. Your adoption papers are signed with the blood of the Lamb. And they are signed eternally. They are not signed with ink that fades over time. They are signed permanently in his blood. And so we can wait. We can wait eagerly for the fullness of that adoption to take place. Because we wait as those who are redeemed. So we have suffering's hope, we have creation's hope, we have redemption's hope, and now we have the Spirit's assurance of hope. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, you know, as I was writing this, and I got the privilege of really diving deep into Scripture and being immersed in this message of hope, it starts to make my blood run a, a bit faster, if you will. Right? You're, you're just filled with that hope. And there are times, I'm going to guess, you, Hat, you too have been filled with that hope the assurance, you too have seen that glory of God. And you stand on that mountaintop, right? That mountaintop, and you are just filled with the hope, the goodness, the glory of God. And your heart just sings because of that. But have you noticed the thing about mountaintop experiences? you got to come back down. And quite frankly... Most of my time is not spent on the mountaintop. It's spent in the valley. It is. Just like you, I live, I breathe, I work, do ministry in the valley. Because really that's where the ministry is, isn't it? That's where our life mostly is. And so sometimes, I'm going to guess like you, I don't feel so up to it. I don't feel so hopeful. Sometimes I just sit and kind of go, really? I mean, you have thoughts like that, right? You don't, this is not a bury your heart 
sort of thing, but I'm going to guess you two have had times like that. And it is at times like that that my faith is kept alive, not by my own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our hope is kept alive, not on our own strength, but the strength of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who works in us, who brings us along, who intercedes for us and transcends what we could ever do. It is the Holy Spirit who lifts us up. And think about how wonderful this is. Not only do you have Christ Jesus before the very throne of God interceding before for you on your behalf, you have the Holy Spirit within you also lifting you up, interceding when you can't, when you don't even know what to pray. And thus the words from Isaiah are so poignant and so deep within us. It says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles' wings like eagle, like with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. You see, when we're at our weakest is when the Spirit really lifts us up. And when we actually grow in our faith is not when we're the strongest, but the weakest. When does faith and hope grow strongest? When I'm weak. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, what is... What is faith? Faith is trust. And when you're the weakest, you have to trust the most. You lean on him fully, completely, to carry you. Even when you don't know what the words are to pray, this is the Holy Spirit who prays for you, who utters those words of assurance that you are not alone, that God is with you, and it is he who carries us through. And so we hold this verse close in our mind. And we know that those who love God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know Now we just hope, but we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. By whose strength? Not our strength, but by God's strength. It is He who carries us through. It is He who makes us live. It is He who gives us power to follow Him. It is He who gives power to the ministry. You see, God the Father chose you for adoption. And the Holy Spirit has brought you to faith in Christ Jesus. 
And Jesus has made the adoption secure through the signing, through and by the signing and sealing with his blood. And you shall be with him in glory. All things work together for good because of how good is, how good God is. And let's do it. For God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Amen. See how that works in? All right, so for you, just two questions. Is your faith one that has enduring hope? Not circumstantial hope, but enduring hope. And then, what is the basis of your hope? I would encourage you, again, to read Romans, all of chapter 8, this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us in Christ Jesus, that through the power of the Holy Spirit we are brought to faith. Through his blood we are adopted. We thank you for leading us on and carrying us through. So work in us, Heavenly Father, ever greater faith, ever greater love, ever greater following Christ Jesus, all to your glory. Amen.